This is our best chance to find a habitable planet. We breed and raise our own crew. Three. Train them in isolation to prepare them for life in space. Two. The voyage will take 86 years. I'm scared. Of what? There's nothing to be scared of. Whenever anybody in the movies tells you there's nothing to be scared of, don't believe them. Especially if it's Colin Farrell playing an astronaut who's in charge of 30 kids heading for a habitable planet on a multi-generational spaceship. That's the premise for a movie called Voyagers, which could be described as a cross between 2001 and Lord of the Flies. Greetings, Earthlings. I'm Alan Boyle, your host for the Fiction Science Podcast, coming to you from the place where science and technology intersect with fiction and popular culture. In today's episode, we'll hear from the production designer for Voyagers, Scott Chambliss, about the process that goes into creating the look and feel of an environment for space travel which is very different from what you see in your typical science fiction movie, but which may well be a lot closer to the real thing. Some people are willing to pay tens of millions of dollars to take a trip into outer space, but there's a risk if the trip goes on too long. Studies based on months-long simulations in isolation chambers suggest that a long-duration spaceflight could have very negative psychological effects. On one level, that's what the movie Voyagers is all about. But what's interesting is that the movie can be interpreted in more down-to-earth ways. Some viewers might well draw parallels to the isolation that many of us have been dealing with due to the coronavirus pandemic, or the mass craziness that gave rise to the Capitol Hill insurrection. Production design can play a key role in delivering the punch of a cinematic story, as Scott Chambliss explained during our science fiction chat. Scott was calling in via cell phone from London, where he's working on another film project, so be prepared to deal with some ups and downs in the audio quality. I started out by asking Scott to summarize Voyager's plot and explain how production design provides the visual context for the action. The movie is a new telling of the Lord of the Flies story, um, which I'd imagine a lot of people are familiar with, either from reading it on their own or in school. In our case, the story is set several decades in the future, and we're living in a a very multinational, corporate-owned world. And the context of our story is a spaceship that's on a multi-generational journey to an inhabitable planet. And they've sent a team of people to be on the ship so that ultimately their grandchildren will be the ones to get to the planet to colonize it some 80 plus years later. Um, So the the people that we're going to meet, they're teenagers, they're basically the seeds for the generations to come and they live on the ship and they die on the ship. In terms of what uh, production design does to help tell the story is the design of the film is is the visualization of the entire story itself. 
so while a setting on its own isn't the be-all and end-all of a movie's story, it is, it's the world that the story exists in. And that world has the effect which creates our characters' personalities and motivates why they act the way they do. And um, that's one of the exciting things to me about designing for film is in no matter what the story is, whether it's realistic or it's um, way out there sci-fi or something else entirely, you get to define a world on the terms of the story. And that's a very creative act of its own. You have quite a long resume in production design, including movies ranging from Mission Impossible 3 to Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 and Star Trek Into Darkness. But I know that director Neil Berger wanted to have a very closed-in look for the spaceship Humanitas, a look that's more similar to the interior of a submarine or a rat maze than the sprawling space stations that we see in so many mm-hmm. science fiction movies. Was it hard to restrain yourself? <laughs> it was not remotely hard to restrain myself. By the time I got to Neil on the movie, I was so sick of doing science fiction. I couldn't tell you. And what what appealed to me about the story was that it was a drama and um, so all the cues that the imaginative cues that I work with on things like Star Trek and Guardians of the Galaxy and all of that stuff are completely different from this very um, emotionally shut down world that Voyagers exists in. It was there, I would say aside from space itself and the true history of uh, space travel in America via NASA, there were um, no other similar research topics uh, for me for Voyagers compared to the rest of the science fiction that I've done in this time. And it really is a chamber drama. It doesn't, the same story could play out in any enclosed sort of environment, not necessarily a spaceship. And I, I think part of the power of the drama is, as you're saying, the intense confinement of the world that these kids live in because it definitely has a compressive effect on their personalities as much as the drug that they're all taking. What kind of research did you do for the movie? You mentioned that this is something that doesn't necessarily have to take place in a space setting, but I understand that some of the folks involved in the movie visited SpaceX to learn about the realities of long-duration space travel. Uh, what what did you do to prepare yeah, yourself yeah. for this? Well, I was with Neil on that SpaceX um, adventure. That was so much fun. Um, I've spent some time at NASA, too, um, and some other spots, too, like um, United Launch and the SpaceX that's also in Florida. Um, It's all great fun, but we were also looking at um, things uh, like prisons, any sort of super institutional, personality-free kind of construction. Um, Also looking at corporate offices at laboratories, very uh, corporate mentality-driven kind of places and places that deal with groups of people in a very controlling manner. Are there some things that you picked up from SpaceX or United Launch Alliance or NASA that show up in the movie and that space geeks might be able to latch onto? That's an interesting question. I think all of the research that we do grounds all of the choices ultimately 
that are made in terms of the design for the story. So there's there was a sense of organization to the SpaceX plant in Southern California that we went to that definitely had an impact on our set as well as a, a specific materiality of the kinds of things they were employing not only in the spacecraft that they were developing but also in their in their own in-house workspaces and stations. We paid close attention to what those things were. Um, very grounded, very utilitarian, but they had a, a specific clean, smart look to them. And we, we attempted to keep the look of our ship excessively clean and as minimal as possible um, without turning it into a morgue. <laughs> Indeed, yes. <laughs> uh, so, some space geeks I know love to point out aspects of science fiction movies that do not match the realities of space travel. Usually, this has to do <laughs> this has to do with, uh, for example, how artificial gravity works on spaceships or the sounds and silences of space. Do you wrestle with those kinds of issues, or do you just focus on the script and avoid fussing over the realities? We always fuss, and we always discuss the realities and um, how the realities can support the drama or how they would really undermine the drama. And basically, we're telling fiction stories. So at the end of the day, it's it's not a heartbreak to uh, discard literal reality and go with something that's more supportive of the story that we're telling. It's not a documentary. Are there any things that you'd like to call out, for example, things that you took special care to include or things that you know wouldn't work that way in reality, but you really needed to do it that way anyway in service of the story? Well, the, the big one is always um, silence in space. That just if, if you go completely dead silent out there, there's a level of um, excitement and drama that is sacrificed and you can make it up in other ways, certainly, but it's, it's hard to do a climactic scene, particularly like the one we movie in an environment of complete dead silence. It becomes a silent movie and the visceral impact is significantly lessened. For me, it's always how you handle gravity in space. And, of course, uh, in the course of the movie, uh, you're really employing Earth-style gravity. But I noticed that you did have the spaceship rotating gently. And uh, I suppose uh, that is the way that you might have a hand-waving explanation for people who really stress over (laughs) how gravity works. Is that yeah, something? Yeah, I, w- I would not recommend that people who are devoted to science and stress out over such details watch. <laughs> are there things that you learned while working on Voyager that you wish you could pass on to real-life space travelers? Yes. If real-life space travelers are ever offered an opportunity to launch from Romania, don't do it. <laughs> That's where the movie work. was filmed, the soundstage. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and why is that? Is there something special about Romania that you want to talk about? I, I would just put it out there. It's always it's always best if you're going to risk your life on an adventure to make sure that, that all the craftsmanship necessary be top flight. Okay. Um, would you take a trip into space if you had the chance? 
in a minute. Oh, yeah. And I understand that you're now doing the production design for Citadel, a spy thriller that's being produced by Amazon Studios. How does your work on that project differ from Voyager's? Is there anything you can tell us about coming attractions? Oh, it's completely different from Voyager's. Number one, it's not science fiction. Um, it's, it's much more in the James Bond, Mission Impossible genre. And um, as such, it's it's very grounded in reality as we know it, with some flags into technical fantasy, of course, for fun. But it's because it's a different genre, and I get to use the world as a canvas as opposed to imagining a new, different world. It's um, it's fun to get back to the planet that I live on. Uh, it's been a long time. <laughs> How long does it take to work through that production design process? And uh, is there some gear shifting that's involved? Do you have to kind of have a palate cleanser before you turn from a multi-generational spaceship to the world of international spies? Yes, I definitely need a break between projects um, because they're generally quite long. And in this case, even longer because of the interference of COVID. From the start of developing a project to the end of shooting, it can be anywhere from a year to a year and a half, or or in the case of, of Citadel, uh, because COVID hit the pause button for us for about six months. I'll, I'll be on this project for two years before we complete um, the task. Citadel is a miniseries. We're doing seven one-hour episodes. Um, that's what makes our shooting schedule so long. And in terms of shifting gears between genres or drama versus comedy, no matter what genre it's in, each project is its own story. I'm starting from ground zero and figuring out what the world of the story is. And even if it's something, a genre that I've worked in before, I need to look at it with completely fresh eyes and not rely on best choices for different tales. And I think that's what what keeps the work fresh for me and hopefully keeps me on my toes and not resorting into habit, which would be much too easy when you're hired for the same kinds of things over and over again. Do you have any recommendations on science fiction books or movies, things that you're reading just for relaxation or to prepare for projects? Hmm. I don't tend to read science fiction when I'm preparing. I should not limit it to science fiction. What sorts of things do you read, whether it's to prepare or whether it's just to get away from it all and re relax? I tend to read a lot of historical nonfiction. Um, the, the first half of the 20th century is very interesting to me because um, I was born in the second half of the 20th century and all our lives are basically have been defined in such significant ways by what happened in the first part of the 1900s and how um, our country in particular went from some very desperate times to some challenging times of World War II to like prosperity and this sense of um, hope and belief in the future to the complete opposite by the late 60s into the 70s in the Vietnam War, how America from that point on became a very cynical place over the decades. It's 
it just fascinates me and it helps me understand the stories that I work on because they're rooted in our life experience, obviously, and the best ones are finding ways to tell our stories in the context of science fiction. So for me, it's it's my education in the world, in our world, in America anyway, and also my grounding in accessing the humanity of these fictional stories that we're telling, putting them in the world that we know, and uh, finding the heart and the hope in them. And in terms of uh, movies that you admire, whether they're science fiction movies or uh, or just movies, period, you, you must have some favorites of your own. Oh, of course. Um, I think my favorite science fiction movies are Solaris, the Tarkovsky original version. I love 2001, of course, but it's almost impossible to watch anymore because we've so absorbed that film in our culture that it's lost some of its meaning to me for that reason. I also love the Bertolucci movie, The Conformist, because the leading characters in the film are not the leading characters of the story. Italy itself is the leading character, and that socio-political moment in time is the other leading character. And the, the people are, in a lot of cases, ciphers themselves. And I, I think that's a fascinating kind of story to tell. What else do I love? I love In the Mood for Love, hmm. Wong Kar Wai okay. movie. Have you seen that? I don't think I have. That's not been on my radar screen. I need to check that it's, out. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. Hmm. Really really enjoyed talking with you, Scott. Uh, and uh, hope our paths cross again. Likewise, Alan. Thanks so much. And I'm sorry that there's kind of uh, stutter and static here, but uh, I appreciate you being patient with it. Yeah, I think it's going to work. I definitely think it worked. For more about Voyagers, the psychology of long-duration spaceflight, and Scott's movie recommendations, check out my Cosmic Log posting at fictionscienceclub.com. Voyagers is playing at actual physical theaters, which may serve as a signal that our COVID isolation is finally near an end. I'd like to thank Scott Chambliss, Lionsgate, and Brian Booth at ZoomWorks for setting up the interview, and thank James Emley for his rendition of the Cosmic Log theme, composed by yours truly. Please subscribe to the Fiction Science Podcast, and feel free to give us a stellar rating on your favorite podcast channel. And so until next time, this is Alan Boyle advising you to watch the skies.